Here. 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 All right. Rolling. Three. Well, we're rolling. See, we got, we did the uh, fake roll in. Three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the latest edition of the TMG podcast. This is David. This is number twelve, I think. Correct. Number twelve. We're just rolling along here, uh, right in the thick of the college football season. A lot to get to. We will first thank our sponsors and our studio, um, AppaGames.com, the unchallenged king of quality sports strategy games and uh also we are coming to you live on tape and we'll get into this in a second uh about when we are recording but we are at revelation recordings at rev rec chino david i got it right i'm rolling now uh contact dot revelation recordings at gmail.com correct nailed it from beautiful the suburbs of uh, chino um and uh, we thank everyone for making this possible. We are, uh, disclaimer time, recording on Monday, which means um, by the time we get this, there are so many um, glitches that David has to fix, fix in this <laughs> podcast. So we'll, he, he usually gives it to me on Wednesday. So that means we're going to miss the, uh, the uh, official uh, unveiling of the first college football ranking uh tomorrow tuesday uh but you know what it really isn't gonna matter we're also miss here's a, here's what else we're gonna miss all the tuesday mac football games being played this week and by that <laughs> i'm so when by the time uh you hear this podcast kent state and toledo will have already played and Ball State at Western Michigan, we wish uh, um, both of those, all four of those schools, good luck. And I had Ball State as my best bet. Did you? Uh, right. Is there, I don't know what the lines on those games are, but those games are over. If you're listening to, to this now, those games are over. But we will start with the college football ranking, and uh, I'll start with Tom Lucci. Tom is is coming, uh, pinch-hitting for Tony Barnhart this week, Mr. College Football. Uh, coming back from he must still be coming back from the cocktail party Um, and uh, so Tom we always thank Tom for sitting in but really why do we need to know we can sit here on Monday the the ranking isn't out until tomorrow but there's no drama in this ranking Tom is there what what are we what are what what are they unveiling that we won't know no I I, I think you're right I mean I think I think it's it's pretty obvious. It's just a matter of the order, and uh, for the most part, the order doesn't matter because Alabama and LSU are going to play on Saturday, and Ohio State's going to play uh, Penn State and, and Michigan, and so you know that's subject to change. Um, the one thing I would say about it, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with LSU and how much credit they get for three top ten wins. My personal belief is LSU should be number one in the country. And based on what they've accomplished, and 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 I would say this, and I wish Tony was on, kind of to debate this a little bit. I would say that LSU with one loss would be much more deserving than Alabama with one loss. Yeah, that's, that's... Uh, as, a, as a possible playoff team. Because I, I, if you did a blind, I'll just tell you this quickly: if you did a blind, uh, you know, a, a blind test to somebody and said. Okay, this team's unbeaten. They've beaten Duke, New Mexico State, South Carolina, Southern Miss, Mississippi, Texas A&M, Tennessee, and Arkansas. Where should they be ranked? I'd say probably around where Minnesota's going to be ranked. 
you know, yeah. based on a blind test. They haven't beat anybody. And we know they're good. That's irrelevant. They haven't beat anybody. Right. So that's what well, so I'm gonna see how how LSU gets rewarded for, for beating three top ten teams. Well, the thing is, and we and we don't, you know, like you said, it's going to play out. Alabama has beaten LSU eight straight games. They beat them twenty nine nothing last year when it was supposed to be a good game. The, the 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 key to your argument is what's the score of the game? If if Alabama LSU is a close game, then any the one loss loser coming out of that is going to have a, an argument. If it's twenty nine nothing again, the one loss loser in the West is not going to. I don't think is going to beat out a conference champion from another major conference. Uh, one loss. So uh, let's Herbie Gould out of Chicago. Um, what I mean, what would be a what are you looking for in in these these first rankings? I mean, is there anything that could sur- that could surprise you? Well, I think you know you, Tom mentioned it. I mean, the one thing I'll be looking at is you know sort of the positioning of the people that are on the outside looking in. I mean, where uh, you know where is Penn State? You know, where is, I mean, I don't know, even, you know, we're talking, we still have Georgia in this mix if they were to win out, you know, it'll, you know, I don't, I don't get as cranked about these kind no. of uh, yeah. rankings at this point, because as Tom mentioned, you know, there's, this is all going to change. I mean, the one that'll be more interesting is the one a week from Tuesday when you'll have that Alabama LSU result. And then it'll get even more interesting a week after that when you throw in uh uh, Penn State, Ohio State, that, into there. Yeah. You know, they got to play some games. Is, is the bottom line before yeah. I get too exercised. Mark Blaugen, Jersey guy, numero uno uh, from Situate. Uh, my prediction is that uh, the order of the uh, first ranking will be LSU will be number one. I th- I'm going to say Ohio State is going to be two, Alabama three, Clemson four. Am I wrong? Maybe, uh, <laughs> and I, again, I, I I go to the you know what Tony was always talking about, Alabama's prejudice. I mean, I I, I believe that should be the uh, top four as well, but Alabama might be number two just because they are Alabama, and and that should will be get proven wrong or right uh, on Saturday night. So that's that's the thing that we we're talking about. And again, what what Lucci was saying was absolutely correct. I mean, in a perfect example. We saw last night in, in Baltimore where everyone was proclaiming the, the New England Patriots having the best defense since the 85 Bears, but they, looked at, they hadn't played anybody in the first eight games, and all of a sudden they got exposed big time against the, the Ravens, and, and now they're just another average defense, or a good defense, but, but not, not a super defense. So I think we, let's, see, let's see what happens with Alabama. Alabama might prove very, very good, good as people think they are if they play a great game in Tuscaloosa, which right. they can do. Right. Well, I think well, here's the. Go ahead, Herb. Uh, I was just gonna say here's 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 the real question. When we're looking at this thing a week from Tuesday, where does the loser of of Alabama LSU go? You know, I mean, we're looking at the AP rankings here, and you know, you're talking about Penn State number five, Georgia six, Oregon and Utah seven, eight, Oklahoma nine. You know, where does where does LSU or Alabama fall to? Well. Because then you're talking about you know the real chances of of a two bid uh, SEC right. or what, not. What's what's the score? I ask this every time. Right. You, ha- you have to tell yep. me the score. I, if it's twenty nine nothing again, then LSU's out of it. Uh, I mean, unless there's all sorts of mayhem. But if it's 
you look what happened to Florida. I mean, uh, they lose. The, I thought Georgia pretty much dominated that game. Um, it ended up being a seven-point game, but Florida didn't fall very far. They fell. They're still in the top ten, or right. I, I think they were at ten, or yeah, right. they're ten. Yeah. So, you know, what's the score? If it's close, then then yeah. And you know who's going to get screwed in that scenario, or potentially screwed, is Oregon. Um, if Oregon is a champion and the decision is Oregon versus uh, the LSU or Alabama one-loss loser, which would have both beaten Auburn? <laughs> you know that's going to be there. You will see this argument start to form as soon as it the you know this game ends and it's close. That argument will be formed by Gary Danielson and all, and uh, it, it's it you can't argue it. Um, and that's all these scenarios that ultimately come back to hurt the Pac-12, even though they had a great weekend. That's the one that they got to watch out for. Um, and again, take care of business. They 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 had Auburn. They dominated Auburn for four and a half quarters, and they let it slip away. And they, and if they don't get in because of that, well, you were on the field and you and you and you choked. I mean, they really did choke that game. Um, so anyway. We will uh we'll move ahead. Um, we have sort of a special edition this week at TMG, and we will talk about this a little bit. We did the 150 on 150, um, uh, and we figured this out. And it doesn't matter that you know Tom Lucci's filling in for uh, Tony today, but he, Tom has 35 years in at in Newark Star Ledger, and the numbers add up. Okay, four newspaper guys uh, on this phone call have. I think it's almost on the number, 150 years of newspaper experience. Um, This is the 150th anniversary of college football to the week. And Tom Lucci, a Rutgers grad, Rutgers played the first game November 6, 1869. Um, We sort of did a little regional um, celebration of the 150, and uh, we'll get into that a little bit. But Tom, since you're a Rutgers guy, we're two day, uh, three days from. Uh, how excited are you? I mean, you're three days away from the 150th birthday of this game. You must be just we're co- thrilled. We're calling it the sesquicentennial what? What? around here. I think that's the word. The what? Years. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, <laughs> the funny thing is, uh, for all of this, you'd, you'd think uh, there would be a slightly more awareness on on, on Rutgers' behalf because. Uh, the, the, the Saturday closest to the actual date, they're not playing. They have a bye, which uh, absolutely makes no sense. And, and the only way that they can possibly salvage this is if they uh, introduce Greg Schiano as their next coach sometime this week as part of whatever uh, meaningless other festivities that they're going to, you know, they, they can reenact the, the first game all they want, uh, you know, and do a lot. It's, it's really ridiculous. The fact that they're not playing and can't celebrate it during the game or at halftime or whatever it might right. be, uh, the only way they could salvage this on their on their end is, <clears throat> as I said, for them to, to possibly introduce Greg Schiano's new coach, which yeah. I think they're inching closer to that. So we'll see. It's hard. It's hard to imagine Rutgers having a worse season on the anniversary on the hundred fiftieth anniversary of the first game, but they're they're sure out to prove it, aren't they? I mean. It's, well, uh, why don't you contact me on the 200? I bet you it's, uh, <laughs> I bet you it's probably even worse. Uh, the funny thing is that uh, Princeton's in the midst of a, of a rebirth. You okay, know, yeah. the, other, the game, and, you know, they were unbeaten last year. I think they are unbeaten this year. They're, they're just, uh, you know, 
they're going great guns. And and I don't know, we, we probably have talked about this hard, but I, I know Northwestern still takes the, uh, the title as the worst team in the history of the Big Ten, but I think this Rutgers team is challenging that. Yeah. I really do. Well, hey, they are. Point, Luch, they should you, play. Would you rather have Shannon introduced at halftime of a game which is behind 45 nothing, or, or when they're not playing? Well, I, I'd just rather have them introduced on the, on the jumbo trying to give the fans something to cheer about. Listen, their final three <laughs> games are Ohio State, Michigan State, and Penn State. Okay? Whatever numbers you want to come up with, 160 to 10, whatever it's going to be, that's what it's going to be. <laughs> so there's nothing they can do about that. But to give the program to inject a little life, a little hope, have to put the new coach on the jumbotron. Sure, it's halftime and you're down 42 nothing. But by then, most of the people are going to be leaving. At least show them. Give them hope for the week. Was there any thought given to playing Princeton? I mean, I know that – is it any weirder for them to play Princeton than it is to play some of these other – Liberty? You know, uh, less, yeah, li- well, not Liberty, but, but you know. No, tell them the story, Tell them the story. Do they don't want to play well, well, actually, in the Rutgers? Actually, when I, I was I was in the administration, I thought the administration at Rutgers at the time when this was being bandied about. And, um, you know, we talked about it. And perfectly honest with you, I was in favor of it. Nobody in the administration, everybody thought it would just be a, a, an absolute bloodbath because, obviously, Princeton doesn't have scholarship players. It would get ugly. Right now, I don't think it would be. No. I honestly don't. You know, I mean, you know, would Princeton win? No. Rutgers would win. But I don't see it as being, you know, as one-sided back then two, three years ago as they thought it might be. No. Yeah, I mean, and they do games like that all the time. I mean, not that Princeton needs the money, but, uh, you know, I mean, it would have been a natural kind of a yeah. tie-in. I mean, um, uh, so you would have game day there, possibly, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, yeah. So you could have attracted game day for, for something like that. I mean, I know. Yeah. Get some vintage uniforms. Work it around. Play, up. play Friday. Yeah. Well, Liberty. Friday night, yeah. you have game day come in and, you know. Absolutely. What's the big deal? Uh, I mean, Liberty scored 34 on, on Rutgers this year, and that was a great day for Rutgers, right? I mean, that, I think I think Princeton. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, Herb, uh, why are uh, now Northwestern and, and Rutgers, they, don't pl- they miss each other on the schedule? I would have loved to see that yeah. matchup. That would have been a good one. Uh, yeah, that would have been a tough one. Well, that's just one of those, you know, the crossover opponent things. They don't, they don't see everybody on uh, the opposite right, thank side. God. But <laughs> yeah, you know, but I mean, unlike unlike Rutgers, which has just you know really been in the tank since the Shiano Golden Age, um, Northwestern. You know, I, I'm, I've been really amazed that Northwestern has been as consistently good as they have been. Since Gary Barnett revived that program, and, and we're talking about 25 years now, yeah. uh, Northwestern has overachieved. So you know, one bad year here, uh, and this is a bad one. Uh, but it, it doesn't, you know, people forget they, you know, they won the division last year. I mean, obviously didn't sustain anything this year, but but they're not they're not as nearly uh, the problem program as you look around the Big Ten, and there are a lot of programs between Rutgers and Northwestern that have real questions to answer. Right. You know, I mean, I mean, if we're going to, I don't know if we're ready to go this, this route yet, but what's going on in Nebraska is really getting ugly. You know, um, uh, Scott Frost doubled down last week, dropping (laughs) some players weren't bought in. Uh, You know, he made the kids practice outside. Oh my my goodness. 
But yeah, well, you know, right in the shadow of their, you know, they build these mega buildings, and then if you don't win, and then they played just a brutal game at uh, at Purdue on Saturday, uh, with, and Purdue is just a walking wounded team. Um, so you know, there, there's some real there's some real angst out there. I mean, I still think Scott Frost is the right guy, and the fact that he is beside himself in a way is a good sign. You know, you got to give it another year or two before you. Start, you know, if it isn't Scott Frost, who do you hire? Who do you hire if it's not Scott Frost? That's the thing. You you know, there's so much impatience now, and it's so easy just because we're on our phones 24 hours a day. Nobody has any time. And look, these guys are all making a lot of money. So, But it's it's like Chip Kelly. Oh, my God, this. I mean, I used to always say, and I think if you give a guy a five-year contract, you have to wait until year three, but but people can't wait till year three anymore, and so you know Chip Kelly and and I'm guilty of it myself. Oh my God, how horrible are the the Bruins? They're going backwards. Yeah, now, now they're one three in a row. They gonna... can. Mm-hmm. So he's in his second year. I mean, so you, it's we're so impatient. We would just want to jump on guys and fire we guys. Are. You know, the other thing that gets overlooked with with Nebraska is. They made that transition from the from the Big Twelve to the Big Ten, and there, you know, it's been a while now, but it hasn't been that long from a establishing recruiting standpoint. And that, you know, that's like another level of reestablishing a program when you have to when you have to reestablish your recruiting turf, especially at a Nebraska, which doesn't, you know, they have to go outside for a lot of their skill guys, and now all of a sudden they're not going to Texas or California the way they were, they have to start looking Midwest, which is, you know, that's, there's a lot of hurdles to clear there. And that, that even gives him extra time from, from the, where I sit. Yeah. It's just, it's craziness. Let's Herb, let's stick with you real, real quick. Cause on our one fifty, you did, you kind of did the Midwest story, which was really good. Uh, and people don't understand this. It, it's like the history of college football in Chicago, which you think, okay, what that's a that's a pro town, uh, you know the Bears and the Bulls uh, and the Cubs, but uh, you know Chicago was a hotbed of college football, and uh, and you wrote a, a really nice piece about that, and and in kind of in uh, context of the history of the 150, the the role that Chicago played in 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 college football history. Just give us a brief. Uh, recounting. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it really kind of surprised me to an extent when I started really thinking about it. You know, when you think about the college all-star game and and the you know the birthplace of the Big Ten and uh, the first Heisman Trophy winner. But the thing that really stands out to me is you know the, the the people that came out of Chicago, Newt Rockney, who certainly is in the discussion for greatest football coach of all time, and Red Grange. You know, if you really are looking at the the long yeah. history of college football. I mean, he's in the, dis- he was the first superstar. I mean, people don't realize that Red Grange made a hundred thousand dollars when he got out of Illinois because he did a barnstorming tour. This was a time yeah. when guys were making a hundred dollars a game and, and he was worth it. I mean, they were packing stadiums from New York to Florida to Seattle Um you know, just amazing. And then Dick Butkus, who might be the greatest linebacker of all time, I mean, came out of the southeast side steel mill country, you know, and played just like it, you know. Um, It's Uh, just, yeah, there were lots and lots of guys out of Chicago. What about first Heisman Heisman Trophy winner was from where, Herb? (laughs) 
Jay Berwanger at the University of right. Chicago. First, I mean, that's right. the other thing. The University of Chicago won seven Big Ten titles and claimed a couple of national championships. Uh, and then in the 30s, they dropped football because, uh, big time football, because the um, president of the university thought that it was too commercialized. Ho, ho, ho. What would he say today? They do play yeah. football. They're still playing football there at Division Three, I think. They are. They yeah. play, I'm trying to think, what, I'm not sure what level they play at. Three. And is it three? Okay, because they play like the Rippons and, you know, some of the nice small academic schools in the Midwest. Yeah. Uh, I think they do pretty well, too. Yeah, they do. Uh, and the nostalgia, and you guys, I'm sure, I'll, I'm going to make a bet that all four of us on this call, oh, and I love this game, the College All-Stars versus the, remember that? That's, oh, that's the, uh, super, that the, uh, the Green Bay Backers playing the College All-Stars. Yep. I, I, live for that game and he's usually right in the early in the summer uh but that's that's a and i didn't realize that until your story that was a chicago production right is that what you're saying absolutely and and uh the, the all-stars were coached for for the longest time by otto graham who uh was uh, out of waukegan which is a far north suburb and yeah. otto graham was a good quarterback at northwestern although very briefly because of world war ii but I mean, he was and he was an amazing quarterback at the pro level. He won seven championships right. with Paul Brown and the Cleveland Browns. But yeah, the All Star Game—it sort of that was the kickoff to the NFL season, the way that the uh, Hall of Fame game is now. Um, you know, and then the attendance—I looked at the attendance really dropped in the in the early seventies, and I mean, it, it became sort of comical in a way. I mean, it was there was no way that you could risk. I mean, think about that. Think about putting all of your number one picks. Can you imagine playing that game today? The lawyers, the lawyers and the lawsuits? That <laughs> yeah, no doubt. The insurance companies would love it. <laughs> That's incredible. All right, let's move uh, move east. Mark Blauchin did a story, and again, sort of the, the lost story of college football, and I call it uh, When Dinosaurs Rule the Earth. People remember Rutgers and Princeton playing the first game, but the rules – of the sport were really not established until a decade or so later by Harvard, Yale, and Princeton. The I, what would become the Ivy league. Walter camp basically wrote the rules of modern football, like the line of scrimmage, things like uh, the, the safety and the four downs. And before then it was just a big scrum uh, more like rugby. Um, So, and Mark wrote about really, what impact? I mean, for the first fifty years of college football was dominated. Oh yeah, well, it, was, it was it was amazing. Yeah, Ivy League schools, I think, won forty five of the first fifty national championships. Yeah, <laughs> and, I mean, because I mean, there weren't that many schools playing college football. But if you look in contrast, in the last fifty years, Eastern schools have won three national championships in the last fifty years. So yeah. obviously, the the the, the, the trend is has shifted way away from the East, and, then, and now Eastern football, I mean, exists. Piecemeal, I mean, right. as, as different schools, but as, as a as a region of college football, it, it's non-existent. Yeah, and they they made a decision. I mean, in the 1970s, the NCAA basically said, "Look, you have a choice: you can stay big-time college football, or you can reclassify." And the you know the Harvards and the uh, and the Yales reclassified down to what was known for years as one double A. Uh, now it's uh, you know FCS, which I still hate calling it or whatever. It is. No, no. So it's uh, 
it's changed, but it is kind of fascinating. I dare to venture that a kid, uh, you know, 20 to 30 uh, years old today would know that Harvard and Yale used to be, you know, the kings and right. army and army army football in the 1940s. Um, you know, Glenn Davis went to Bonita High School, not to probably uh, about 15, 10, 15 minutes from where we're recording. And his Heisman Trophy sits in in Bonita High School's gym out here. Uh, but yeah, so and I what I did for the 150, I kind of took a look at the Rose Bowl and they're, you know, just basically saying, you know, there really is no history of college football without the Rose Bowl, although it got it really it didn't get started till 1902. Um, but the story I focused in is I thought the best story out of the entire uh, what I thought was the best story of the Rose Bowl history was the story of wrong way Roy Regals in the 29 game uh, Cal versus Georgia Tech, and 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 Roy Regals for for Cal picks up the ball, runs the wrong way for 62 yards. He's chased down by his own teammate at the one. And here's the thing, I, this cracked me up. Uh, it was a zero zero game, so Cal has the ball at their own one. They punted on first down. I mean, they just they didn't even try to get it out of their own end zone. Uh, and the argument was, well, there was, you know, people played both ways and they were so tired for, from chasing down Roy Regals that the, the coach was afraid they would, you know, they just want to get rid of the ball. And so they've punt on first down and the, of course the, the punt gets blocked and it goes for a safety and, and Cal lost eight to seven. So, uh, Roy Regals blunder cost Cal the, but the thing is Roy Regals, own that fumble. He, you know, imagine if you know Ryan Leaf did that today, or some one of these other. You know, I'll call Baker Mayfield one of these babies. Uh, and uh, you know, Roy owned it the rest of his life. He would write letters to kids. He'd see like a high school kid that did the same thing. Yeah, I think even Jim Marshall, remember from Minnesota, did that. Uh, and he would write these guys letters and just say, you know, look, it won't define your life. Uh, he went on to become a very successful businessman. And so, and I thought it was a pretty uh, kind of an enduring story of the of, of sportsmanship, and and that you don't let a mistake define you. And the thing is, he was a great player. It wasn't some, you know, dolt. He was an All American center and came back the next year and was captain of the uh, Cal team. So uh, that anyway, that's our wrap up. One fifty on one fifty. Uh, it's out. We posted it today. It's on tmgcollegesports.com, and uh, you can find it on Twitter also if you want to read a little bit more into those stories. Uh, yeah, we're doing pretty good on time, but I wanted to get to a couple other elements, and uh, I'll go to Luke, Tom Lucci on this because he brought it up in his Sunday column, uh, and it does kind of. Wait, per- wait. so before go. you go, I, I do need to comment. Just two quick ones on things that you guys have touched on. As far as the Northeast not not winning national championships the past fifty <laughs> years, we said. Um, well, in the Northeast, we use the same map that President Trump does for the weather. So we kind of circle Clemson, you know. So they're included <laughs> in the Northeast now. So we Clemson. That's it. Yeah, well, you know, you know how far the map goes. It goes into Alabama for weather. Goes oh, into right, right. Clemson, <laughs> you know, so uh, that's a that's a long that's reach the first, there. The second thing is the, the, the very first game was. Um, and this was my suggestion to Rutgers. The very first game was featured 25 players on each side. And I suggested being this close to playing Ohio State for the anniversary, if Rutgers could petition to get 25 players 
to play on offense and defense against Ohio State that it might be a lot better game. <laughs> I think it fell on deaf ears, but I thought it was worth a try. <laughs> That's good. Well, let's get let's get to. I think this will be one of the you know the few uh, things I'm looking forward to in the uh, in the football ranking tomorrow is you know the group of who's going to be the group of five team. Everyone's nobody seems to want that spot. SMU lost um, a thrilling game to, to to Memphis, but Tom, you brought up there was a good point in that game, and you can explain it. And SMU. Uh, it goes to this modern thinking of college football and analytics, and we see it in baseball right. all the time. But okay, so SMU is down by fourteen against 14. Uh, against Memphis. All right, take over. Yeah, so they're down fourteen, and it played the game. I don't know, maybe three and a half, four. You know, I watched the whole game, and uh, so they score, and that puts them down eight. It was fifty-four, forty-six at the time, and then Sonny Dykes decides to go for two, down, um, and he makes it. So that puts them down six. But I just, and even uh, Herb Street and Fowler were saying, is this part of the new analytics? Even they weren't kind of clued in. I later saw somebody explained it analytically. Apparently, by the numbers, it makes sense. But I, I have a hard time uh, accepting that only because of this. My belief is this if you're down 14, you score and you kick the extra point. Then when you score the next touchdown, you have the option of taking the extra point to tie and go overtime, or then you can go for two. But by going for two when he did, if he had missed it, he would have had no option on the uh, second touchdown but to go for two just to get the overtime. Yeah. Now, how the analytics say that that's the move to do, it's beyond me. I wasn't a math major. Uh Mark Blauchin, I, I would argue, look, when Mac Brown went for two against uh, – uh, Clemson, that was the Clemson. right call. Clem- I mean, North Carolina wasn't really ha- playing for some, but SMU is playing for a berth in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, and I think in the, it's in situational. You have to try to get that game to overtime. You're trying, you you know, you, I don't I, I don't get it, but like I said. I don't get it either. Well, Luke is right. I, jump in. I, I, I know what you guys are saying about that, and I used to think that. But now, when you really think about it, you actually, if you go for two and you don't make it, yes, you need to make the two-point conversion to send the game to overtime. But if you do make it, now you put yourself in position to kick and win. And and actually, the mathematical part makes more sense to me. I think the other part that, that doesn't fit into the math is, the coach needs to say, I've got a play that's going to work. We have to have a confidence factor to go for two. Well, you're exactly I'm not as right bothered right. by it. Yeah, I'm not exactly as bothered right. by it now. I think the percentages of where I read was the percentages of two-point conversions in college football is 40%, whereas we know on extra points it's about 98% or 97%. It's high yeah. 90s. So yeah. Right. That, I don't know if that factors in. I don't know. I, I, I just say it's, well, it's beyond my uh, – I look at all – I see all this uh, analytic – yeah. I don't understand. I still don't understand it. I'm baffled by it. And I think both Herb Street and Fowler, who have been around quite a bit of football, were both baffled by it as well. Yeah. Well, well you know, Tom, you, you made a good point, too, that the line was six. So yeah. by going for two, <laughs> I don't, by going for two they, they made some people happy. I see all this analytic crap in baseball, and I get so tired of it, and they're doing all this percentage stuff. And then I see a guy 
pulling into a six-man shift on the right side. Uh, where are the analytics is how about trying to lay a bunt down for a base hit until they till they shift over? So, you know, you can take analytics uh, you know, and shove it. As I say, that was an old country song, I think. <laughs> <laughs> take this job and shove it. Uh, all right, we're we're we're, uh, we're 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 heading down the backstretch here. Wanted to get to a couple other topics, and this comes under the category of the collegiate model. We anything that uh, we do regarding compensation for student athletes athletes will have to be within the collegiate model. So this week, Florida State blows Willie Taggart away. With a seven and they like a seventeen million dollar buyout, they owe him for uh, it's like three million dollars a win. I think somebody figured it out. Uh, so yet th- this I, this apparently falls within the collegiate model of the way they want to do things, uh, where they can blow twenty five to thirty million dollars on a coach, but uh, you know a, a, a guy who wants to have a, have a summer camp, uh, you know, make some money off that. That's not right. Anybody can fire away on this, but this to me just you know it, it just exploits the hypocrisy of their of their argument. Well, you're wrong, dude. But it makes perfect sense because you don't understand the, the, the dynamics of it. What I found out was is that the Florida State alumni and, and, and the boosters had had ponied up twenty million dollars to buy out the contract. So actually, Florida State saved money by getting rid of Willie Taggart. I mean, no problem. See, it's perfectly. Oh, I apologize, then. I'm sorry. I was way off base on this. It cost them, it cost them nothing. Actually, it was a surplus. They, they have an extra $300 right. to hide in the coach. So getting boosters back involved is... is, oh, absolutely. is well, okay. oh, absolutely. It's good stuff. Come on. All right. Well... Um, anyway, this we can seg into the, you know this this job no job opening now at Florida State yep. suddenly pretty appealing. Um, USC might have an opening uh, based on what I saw Saturday night at the Coliseum firsthand. Uh, that's not official yet, but now hey, what's the better job, USC or Florida State? And uh, I guess depends who you are and what you're looking at, looking for, but. Uh, uh, Herb I mean, or Herbert Tom or what? What do you? Th- what's the better job? Uh, well, if it's from my point, prestige, it's USC. The ability to, to to win, get have people get out of your way and let you win, Florida State. I mm-hmm. don't even think it's close. I, I, I like you say. I know they both have access to great talent. Right. But at Florida State, Florida State has always behaved more like an SEC school, and so they're going to get things done. USC still that private school. You know better than I do. They still have a certain mindset about where they are, uh, and I don't just—I I don't see the USC, despite their past issues and scandals, where anything goes. At Florida State, I think anything goes as long as you win. <laughs> well, you, USC has problems outside of football that may curtail their hiring of the guy they want. I mean, they've had so many scandals, and they're paying off lawsuits right. for uh, all sorts of things uh, and, and scandal that 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 might be a. a, a the spike strip that keeps them from hiring Urban Meyer, this new president, uh, may just take a stand on, uh, uh, you know, on Urban's. Although nothing, nothing's really touched Urban, uh, you know, legally, but uh, uh, it certainly will impact. And maybe Urban looks at Florida. I mean, can you see? Well, it depends on what Shelley Meyer wants to do. Does she want to move back to Florida? Uh, is Tallahassee better than Gainesville? I don't know, but. Uh, it, that, that could be two big time jobs opening up. Um, 
I don't know where USC turns if they can't uh, land Urban. Um, somebody mentioned uh, Herbie. Somebody mentioned James Franklin, and I'm going. Well, my yeah. I, I said, well, that's the only guy Clay Hilton beat. <laughs> I was like, you should go. Wait a minute. I beat <laughs> I beat that guy in the Rose Bowl. Well, he's, it certainly would be a, a. It would look like it would be a good fit because he brings a little bit more of that cachet. You know, I mean, he's he's a fit at USC with their ideals. Uh, it doesn't hurt to be a minority guy, although I think that's less and less of an issue. At, at, um, but, you know, he might be a guy who wants to do that, you know. that That's a possibility. But on the other hand, he can also use that because Penn State is not going to let him go quietly. I mean, they're going to they're gonna make it very hard for him to leave from a, a financial standpoint. Um, you know, those are good ones. I mean, I don't know. Mike Norvell certainly has got to be one of the coaches of the week. Um, you know, there's, they can't there's hire guys Mike out there. They got to have a name. They can't. They they can't hire Mike Norvell. He was a well. See, that's where they're going to get into trouble. I mean, yeah. I really believe that you need to. Uh, they won't do you it. Know, you need you need to get a guy that's going to go there and be there. You know, and then uh, what about? I mean, is Bob Stoops? Uh, I would. He like Bob Stoops. I think they would if if they can't get Urban Meyer, and I, and I think Bob Stoops is interested in that job. I just. Uh, uh, yeah, but was Bob See, I, I, I would tell you that you know the, the you I, I think you're better off if, if I'm if I'm looking for a guy that I'm going to win with. I think you're better off with a Matt Campbell or you know a young guy who's on the way up than somebody who's been there and done that. Um, you know, I, I just don't know. You know, especially Bob Stoops and Urban Meyer are both guys who who kind of walked away because it wore them out. I mean, aside from yeah. any of the other Urban Meyer issues. You know, even though they're a name, the name doesn't matter if you don't win. You know, I mean, how yeah. good is the Chip Kelly name? I mean, it's looking a little better now, but but as you mentioned, you know, a month ago that name didn't look very good. I don't. Um, you know, what about a Luke Fickle? They wouldn't. They wouldn't even consider that. Um, again, to USC, it's they. You know, they think that everyone should want that job. And that would be that would be seen as a as a uh, a come down. They want a big name now. Now I don't know if they can do it. There's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys they should have hired. Matt Rule, you, you know, you can. That's hi- who they should hire. Yeah, yeah. but but yeah. they they they, they want to win. That's who they should. But hire. they don't think like that. You know, they think we have the, the we're the greatest. Everyone should want to come here, um, and then they they get stuck in these ruts. Um, but uh, we'll see how that plays out. Not uh, all right. Let's look. We we've already talked about LSU at Alabama. Um, anything out there this weekend? Uh, Herbie, uh, Penn State at Minnesota. We didn't. I didn't think that was going to be a big game, but it sure is now. Um, it sure is now, and uh, and yet Penn State is favored by a touchdown on the road against the Golden Gophers, uh, which I don't disagree with. I mean, if you. Um, you know, I mean, that'll be a heck of a game. And, and, you know, Minnesota hasn't had a schedule opportunity to really prove that it's, it's a true 8 no. So we'll find out. I mean, that'll be fun. Uh, Iowa and Wisconsin is another important game in the Big Ten this week. Uh, yeah. And then my uh, one of my Michigan State friends uh, reminded me this morning that, you know, Michigan State is favored by 13 over Illinois. And he said, "Michigan State. When, what makes them think Michigan State can score thirteen points?" <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, uh, Mark Blauchin. This, this uh, one, yeah. this, Mike is throwing out. I think 
we should just keep an eye on it just because of, with the rankings coming out and all that. You know, since they lost to Kansas State, we, Oklahoma, Oklahoma's been right. off. You know, so we haven't heard much from them. And they were flying high, top five, top four, top five. And now they have a, a, a tough stretch. Can they impress enough to work their way back in? They're home to Iowa State, who's speaking good. They yep. got Baylor. They got CU. They got Oklahoma State. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I don't this yeah. is their stretch to kind of reprove themselves, reestablish themselves. Well, well how, it starts right. against Iowa State. Like I say, who I think is a sneaky good team. They're, they're capable mm-hmm. enough. Well, how many times have we been wrong this year about, oh, they're out of it now. Oregon's out of it. Uh, when they lost to Auburn, uh, Utah's out of it. When they lost USC, Oklahoma's out of it because they lost. No, they're not. There's no way you if you're in the top ten on November second. There's no way you can be out of the playoff. Uh, you know, uh, you know, it, it could be difficult, but um, no, they're not out of it. Uh, Mark Blauchin, a rare opportunity for the Boston College Eagles. Now, most years when you say Florida State is coming. Uh, to town, uh, you would be worried, but this is a this is a game where you know the screaming eagles coming off a huge win <laughs> to get back over five hundred. Yeah. Uh, does that mean? Would it? Does it mean anything be, beating Florida State anymore? Yes, it, it does because and this, this is the unfortunate part of your if, if you're a, if you're a Florida State fan. Is first of all, it's going to be 30 degrees here on Saturday. So Florida State will play an interim coach, 30 degrees, and, and with wind blowing across, and 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 they're and they're going against a BC team that they can run the ball. Even though Clemson disproved that, but they 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 have two pretty good running backs, and their offense is pretty good running the ball. And they're playing for a bowl bid. If they 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 win on Saturday. They have they're bowl eligible. That's all. That's all that matters to BC. They don't care about anything else at BC. It's, Seven wins is as high as high as high as Steve Dodge is going to go in his career, probably. So they're they're with you know one game or two games of that right now. So it means everything to BC, and they're paying for it. The only thing that's going for Florida State is to get bowl eligible and, and be avoided second year of embarrassment. They have to win on Saturday because they finish up with Florida, then they then they have a, you know Alabama State or somebody on, on in the in the one double team. So if they win Saturday, then, then it can become bowl eligible. So that's that's the one thing at stake. But noon game, cold weather. I don't think they're going to show up. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, we'll, we'll get out of they here. Don't show up. What about for the legal seafood chowder, Blau? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, okay, we got to wrap it up. Uh, I, I have a my, I use you a couple just a couple odd my oddball games of the week. Just I love just the sound of this. Liberty at BYU. You can just fill in any joke you want there, but that's. Uh, that's going to be interesting. And my, uh, how would I call this, conspiracy theory uh, wacko game of the week, Air Force, the the Fighting Falcons coming off a big win over Army at New Mexico. Now, let's think of this, Air Force over New Mexico. Now, what I'm thinking there is Roswell and uh, Area 54, and that's just... <laughs> I think the I think the over under that should be fifty one in that game if 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 Las Vegas yeah, has a sense of humor, uh, but the, you very know this good. is this is what I do I just I see Air Force at, at New Mexico and I just I just think alien you know alien invaders and uh, but that's my crooked mind all right that's about that's all about all I see, um, and of course the big one LSU at Alabama and we'll know more. Next week, it'll all be resolved. And I think we've done it again. Thank you, everyone. And we will be back uh, next week, we hope. 
Um, adios. Thanks, All right. <laughs>